This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Now you're all familiar with the, uh, the image of the statues of Buddha figures and the smiling faces. I wonder how many of you are familiar with this particular statue. Does anybody recognize that at all? So that's the, um, that's the, the Roman god Janus, the two-headed god. And um, the reason why I've put Janus up on the screen is that um, I'm going to be using Janus as a kind of uh, a representation of our... Um, to contrast Janus with Buddha, in a sense. So now I'll just take that off now. <clears throat> so the... Uh, um, any, anybody here familiar with Janus at all? Just raise your hand. If you, okay. Apparently there's no equivalent god, there's no equivalent Greek god. And... Um, so the title of the talk today on the 22nd of November is uh, Liberation in This Life. And um, it's the last talk for this year, 2020. What a year it's been for all of us. It's probably one of those years we'll never forget. In five or 10 years time, we'll say, oh, do you, rem do you remember 2020? And we'll all have our own little uh, stories about it. So I'm going to try and, you know, tie together a few of the themes that I've been talking about throughout the year, if I can, today. So I'll just start now. Um, so if the image of the Buddha represents the experience of the timeless now, then maybe the image of Janus, the two-headed Roman god of transitions, gateways, beginnings and endings, with one head turned towards what has been and the other head turned towards what is yet to be, represents our experience of what I am calling our mortal personhood. The smile of the Buddha conveys the sense of completeness, of serenely dwelling in just this moment. Janus, on the other hand, looks to the past and the future. She knows she is mortal. Her time will come to an end. For Buddha, liberation in this life is liberation in this very moment. From our Zen perspective, liberation is not something which arises in the future, it's always now. 
For the mortal person, however, liberation in this life can maybe described as the capacity to choose the life I wish to lead, knowing that my time is limited. And therefore having, to, having the faith to make commitments to relationships, to projects, whose future outcome always remains uncertain. Also, given the limitations of time, I have to prioritize what I choose to commit myself to. Paradoxically, it is the fact that my time is limited that allows me to experience meaning and purpose. Can you imagine living forever, being no end, how difficult that would be? to experience any motivation to do anything. So in this final talk of 2020, I'll string together a few of the themes that I've been touching on throughout the year, but basically with the overall intention of integrating the understanding of ourselves from the perspective of both Buddhahood and personhood. This could be summarized in the koan-like statement by Shunru Suzuki, the famous Zen master who lived in San Francisco. You are perfect as you are, and you could do with a little improvement. A person realizes Buddhahood when they see that essentially who they really are cannot be defined by any particular identity. However, before this realization occurs, we need to have established ourselves as persons. That is, someone who occupies certain practical identities, such as husband or wife, son or daughter, sailor or social worker, liberal or socialist, etc., etc. And someone who is capable of exercising and experiencing a sense of personal agency, the sense of being able to make choices. The person who then realizes Buddhahood is someone who realizes they are not separate from Buddha nature, reality. Buddha nature is always present, but its actualization can be called Buddhahood. And this realization occurs in this very moment. Buddha nature is the reality of impermanence and interdependence. Stars, galaxies, and persons are born and die. The person who realizes Buddhahood does not stop being a person who occupies certain identities. But in that realization lies great freedom. This realization of Buddhahood found in Zen, unlike the quest for immortality in other religions, is not incompatible with the secular ideal of experiencing freedom in this life. 
Unlike the monotheistic religions, which reject this life by seeking transcendence in an afterlife or a life of eternal being, Zen points to not just this life, but to this moment. At the same time, pointing to freedom in this moment complements the secular quest to lead a good, worthwhile life in this life. As Zen practitioners, we don't seek to transcend our existence as mortal persons. Zen enriches our experience of this life. As Zen practitioners, we all identify as persons living in this particular historical time and place, engaging with the struggles that this particular time and place finds us in. And at the same time, we come to appreciate through practice, we are also living Buddhas. As described by Zen Master Dogen in his famous Genjo Kaan, prior to realization, there are persons and there are Buddhas. That is, we begin practice feeling that Buddhahood is some future distant goal, maybe only attainable after many lifetimes of practice. At the point of realization, Dogen says, there are no persons and no Buddhas. In other words, that duality has simply gone. There is no identity whatever to hold on to. Then, following realization, coming back into the world, we integrate our Buddhahood and our personhood in this life through our commitment to ongoing continuous practice. In order to make the case for appreciating how the freedom which comes from realizing our Buddhahood does not negate but enhances our secular freedom found in our personhood, I would like to focus on three paradoxical aspects of Zen practice. The first is the importance of understanding how the seemingly contradictory notions of aspiration and no gain come together in Zen and how this becomes embodied as commitment. Secondly, is the importance of our relationship to both finitude, limits, and the timeless present moment. How we live in the present moment and at the same time appreciate how death sets the horizon for our possibilities. Thirdly, we've talked a lot about the impermanence and interdependence of self, but I'd also like to say a few words about the importance of personhood and identity and how commitment brings us a sense of the continuity of identity through time that provides the kind of cohesion that is lacking from the moment-to-moment -moment changing nature of our inner self. For in the end, what we do with our life tells us and others more about who we are as a person than our subjective experience of self, which only I or you can experience. 
Finally, I would like to tie this all up with a brief discussion about our commitment to maintaining the Zen tradition and how the precepts and what's called the Jukai ceremony, the commitment to take on the identity of a Zen Buddhist, are central to the task of holding and maintaining the tradition so that we can pass it on to the next generation. So the first paradox, aspiration and no gain. I'll just share with you a, a very familiar story that most of you are now familiar with. Um, a Zen story, I'll just simplify it. The, uh, the master says to the, to the junior monk, Reverend Sir, what is your purpose in doing Zazen? And the junior monk answers, I seek to become a Buddha. The master therefore, thereupon, took a piece of roofing tile and began rubbing it with a stone. The junior monk asked, what are you doing, venerable teacher? And the master said, I want to polish this roofing tile and make a mirror. And the junior monk asked, can a piece of roofing tile be made into a mirror? And the master asked in return, can a Buddha be created by doing Zazen? The junior monk was dumbfounded and could not reply. That story presents that paradoxical nature of aspiration and no gain in our Zen practice. In other words, we don't practice to become a Buddha, we actually practice to express our Buddha nature. This was the young Master Dogen's resolution to his personal kind, why bother to practice if we are already enlightened? This is a quote from a, a Zen practitioner called, teacher called Shinshu Roberts. We do not engage in practice in order to attain anything. Our practice is an expression of a Buddha's activity. For this reason, practice, as much as it is an expression of Buddha nature, cannot be separated from realization. Our aspiration to practice arises because our essential nature is realization. Our practice may miss the mark, but it is still generated from our true nature. Nevertheless, make no mistake, Dogen is adamant that practice is necessary and our responsibility. Uh -huh. So seeing from the perspective of Buddhahood, aspiration, practice, realization and nirvana are inseparable. It's not a staged practice. So we practice without expectation and in that practice of no gain, we gain everything. Aspiration and no gain are a wonderful example of how we integrate our personhood and our Buddhahood in our practice. In a way, only a person can aspire towards becoming a Buddha. It would be nonsensical for a Buddha to aspire towards being a Buddha. However, when a person aspires towards becoming a Buddha, 
they are caught in the delusion of duality. But this is another paradox. It is the sense of something missing which arises from being caught in delusions of duality that actually awakens our way-seeking mind, our aspiration, our aspiration to practice. Our aspiration then becomes embodied in our commitment to practice. Without practice, no Buddhahood. I think that's what Dogen is saying. We therefore aspire towards living our lives as Zen Buddhist practitioners, and we make a commitment to live from the precepts. So although it is true that we are already Buddha, it doesn't mean we give up polishing the tile. Polishing the tile is sitting zazen every day, if we can. This is the same sort of meaning as Shunru Suzuki. We are perfect as we are, yet we could do with a little improvement. Our Buddha nature calls us home, and our personhood responds by making the effort to sit. Then our personhood disappears into just this moment. The idea of no gain is an expression of what it means to sit as Buddha. Sitting in Zazen with attention is intrinsically meaningful. It requires no content. All we have to do is get out of the way. Buddhahood, in a sense, goes beyond fullness and lack. We live our lives as persons in the world of temporality, committed to improving our lives and our world to the best of our ability. And we allow Zazen to teach us about perfection and completion. This is the uniqueness of Zen, I believe, which is different to Hinduism and the monotheistic religions. Both the practice of aspiration and no gain are expressions of freedom. Aspiration becomes embodied in our commitment as an expression of what we choose to prioritize in this life. No gain is a radical overcoming of lack without becoming stuck in fullness, emptiness. No gain is not timeless being or the eternal now, but it is the now of practice. We aspire to be awake, to be present to this moment. Now the second paradox is the freedom of finitude and the timeless now. So the next paradox concerns the relationship between being and becoming. How we integrate the freedom to choose who we are going to be with the freedom of being no one and going nowhere. Salvation in Zen is not about liberation from this life, but about finding liberation in this life. This includes embracing this life and all the attachments of this life, rather than seeking a kind of stoic detachment from life, which is how Buddhism is often understood. Perhaps the best synonym for liberation in this life is freedom. How do we understand freedom? Traditional Buddhism argues that to be alive is to suffer, to be born is to suffer, to have a family is to suffer, to be sick is to suffer, 
to grow old and die is to suffer. Liberation in traditional Buddhism is liberation from the wheel of life, the wheel of samsara. Nirvana literally meant the extinguishment of all desire, the blowing out of the candle, even the desire to live, with the outcome being one is no longer reborn. This is not my understanding of freedom in Zen Buddhism. Normally, freedom can be understood in two ways, negative freedom and positive freedom. Negative freedom is freedom from something. It is the absence of obstacles, barriers, or constraints. Positive freedom is the possibility of acting in such a way to take control of the direction of our lives and realize our values. I want to suggest that when we fully embrace this moment, we are in the zone of negative freedom, freedom from all gaining ideas. This is the gateless barrier of Zen. There are no barriers. We are already complete without lack. This is expressing our Buddha nature, the freedom of just being. Yet we must also embrace the freedom of our mortal personhood. This is the world of lack and desire, the world of suffering beings. In this domain, we experience the freedom of choice and commitment, positive freedom, the freedom to become. Our finitude imposes a natural horizon or limit and what is possible for us in this life. We have to work out our values. What is really important to us? Because time is passing. This gives us meaning and purpose and the desire for what we value to live on after we have departed the stage. This is the realm of secular freedom. Our Zazen practice cultivates our awareness of this moment and this cultivation of awareness allows us to make wise choices and maintain our commitments. With our understanding of practice in this life, as liberation in this life, once we get a taste of realization in this moment, we no longer need to spend time asking the traditional Question, who am I? Instead, we can now engage with the question, who shall I be? Because we are relational beings, who shall I be is inseparable from the question, how, I, how am I going to treat others and the kind of community that I wish to live in? As the contemporary philosopher of secular spirituality, Martin Hagland says, in engaging the question, what should I do? We are, are also engaging the question, who should I be? And there is no final answer to that question. This is our spiritual freedom, says Hagland. During our recent online retreat, Malcolm Martin, the sixth Dharma heir of Barry Majid, spoke about caring about the outcomes of elections, and teacups. He spoke about how if we are going to care about what matters in our lives, our relationships, our community, or even our treasured objects such as a teacup, 
then we need to be attached to the outcome. This runs against the grain of the dominant paradigm of religious and spiritual teachings, which teach be in this world but not of it. For example, quote again from Hagland, the widely influential Christian mystic Meister Eckhart emphasizes that, quote, the man who is in absolute detachment is carried away into eternity where nothing temporal affects him since true detachment means a mind as little moved by what happens by joy and sorrow, honor and disgrace as a broad mountain by a gentle breeze. This is not what we are doing here, not in our ordinary mind Zen practice tradition. Rather, in practicing being just this moment, compassion's way, we are appreciating not only the preciousness of this moment, but the preciousness of all the remaining moments that are yet to come. We just don't know how many we'll have. In our practice, the timeless now is not something removed from this life, but deeply engaged with this life. Every moment counts. The third paradox, um, identity through time. Um, so I now come to the third paradox we encounter in our practice, how we both realize the insubstantiality of self and identity and the importance of maintaining continuity through time. This is expressed in our commitment to identities we value and hold dear such as our commitments to intimate partners, children and parents, friends, clients, and all the various projects we are all involved in, whether they be arts and crafts, songwriting, political activism, and community building. Realizing the insubstantiality of self and identity only enhances our awareness of the importance of the infinite network of interdependence that literally weaves ourselves and our identities into a coherent whole. Knowing that my happiness and well-being depends on your happiness and well-being means we have no choice but to think and act relationally and contextually. We can no longer pretend to be separate individuals locked in a battle of survival. Even though the person is a social construction, we still experience ourselves as persons with personal agency. It is a conventional truth that is real enough. For example, we can dissemble a chariot to show that it is completely empty, lacking of any inherent self-existence. But when we put the chariot back together, it functions as a chariot. In the same way, if a person develops, given a good enough caring environment, that person will function as a person. They will experience an existential identity, enduring through time with a sense of personal agency. Just because we are a narrative construction, a conceptual fiction, we still experience emotions that are inherently valued and valuable. Even though there is no separately existing enduring self, and that the person is a conceptual construction, we still experience ourselves as persons with a soul, that is, with intentions, personal agency, and emotions. 
As Yoko Ono once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. That is conventional reality. Spiritual freedom means we experience personal agency. I choose the values and identities I aspire towards and make them a reality by my action in the world. Another quote from Hagland, who I take myself to be is a practical identity because it requires that I keep faith with a commitment. What I do with my time is what I do with my life. To sustain our aspiration to be aware, to be present, we require some way of practicing continuously. This is the essence of Dogen's teaching, continuous practice. Our values and our ability to choose to commit are what sustains our practice and ultimately the tradition of Zen Buddhism that we belong to. As a person, we are born in time and we live in time. We are temporal beings living in a secular world of becoming. Only a person has agency and can make a commitment. On the other hand, as a Buddha, I am non-separated from this timeless now. I am being time, illuminated by the 10,000 things. That is, sitting on the bank of a rainforest, waterhole, listening to the sound of the water fall, cascading into the pool. I become one with the sound of the waterfall. I become non-separated from impermanence, one with time and hence timeless. A person, on the other hand, is born and dies in time. A Buddha, on the other hand, is never born and never dies because the Buddha is the totality of the whole of life. From the perspective of being time, our Buddha nature is always here now, whereas our Jainus nature is always moving from a past into a yet-to-be-determined future. It is our Jainus nature which makes intentions and commitments and our Buddha nature, which helps us to be with the consequences of those decisions. It is the Jainus nature that experiences intentional agency and the Buddha nature that expresses spontaneous compassion. So just to conclude, maintaining the tradition. The Dharma, incomparably profound and minutely subtle, is rarely encountered, even in hundreds of thousands of millions of ages. Now we can see it, hear it, hold and maintain it. May we completely realize the Buddha's true meaning. This chant, which is recited prior to a Dharma talk in Zen centers, captures how we honor what came before us. We also aim to maintain the tradition in order to do this, we have to plant the seeds in new soil, different cultures and historical periods, to make it new without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And what is the baby? The three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. This is really what we are receiving when we receive what's called Jukai. Next year, we will be offering a unique opportunity to study the precepts within the context of a small online evening meeting once every fortnight 
and to use the study process as a means to decide whether or not you would like to make a formal commitment to the life of a Zen practitioner. This group will be co-facilitated by myself and Malcolm. I'm just having not quite sure of the dates yet. So I will conclude with a quote from the great Master Dogen. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way.